Yeah, good morning to you. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah, you are, aren't you? You know, I don't want to spend an hour convincing you otherwise. Hey, it's so good to be with you, and it's good to have my, my daughter and grandsons here, and daddy's coming next week. They're going to be living in Paducah. Um, and so for the first time in almost a decade, I'm going to have my family within an hour or so of living. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. And, you know, Taylor... <laughs> You know, Taylor asked that question that I know, you know, it's in your brains. I know it is every time you know, we're, we're in worship. And, and so he looks up at me and goes, when can I sit down? And I mean, no, I know you think that. I know you do. You know, yeah, when can I sit down? I said, go ahead, bud. It's all right. Anyway, just so glad to have them, and we certainly are glad um, to have you also. So here we are, and we are starting the last triplet of the fruit of the Spirit. You remember we spent about, what was it, three or four weeks, we talked about the Holy Spirit, and then we have love, joy, peace, and we have patience, kindness, and goodness. And now we have those last three. Can you believe that? The summer's already gone. You know, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so today we want to talk about the faithfulness of God. And that's why um, I asked David to have David sing The Anchor Holes. Because it's just a beautiful word picture of the faithfulness of God. That no matter how our lives are battered, no matter how big the storms come, the anchor holds. God is faithful. Our sermon title, however, is not about, well, you know what? It is about anchors because, you know, if you know anything about the Marine Corps, when they graduate from basic training, you know what they get? They get the globe and the anchor. Globe and the anchor. So, simplify is our title, okay, today, and that is the motto of the U.S. Marine Corps. Um, actually, the, it's a Latin term, okay, and it means, uh, it's semper fidelis, and it means always faithful and always loyal, and it's the motto, again, of the United States Marine Corps. We, at least I do, as, you know, I'm an Air Force veteran, proud to be in the, it was proud to be in the Air Force, but you got to admire the Marines for a couple reasons. They've got the coolest uniform ever, you know. We were, gosh, we were, I was at this funeral for George Wright, you know, and he was an Air Force veteran, and so they had two guys, the honor guard was there, and they, you know, they changed everything. They won't leave everything, you know, alone, and so they have now this new emblem. You know, and back when I was in, it was a circle with an eagle. I mean, doesn't that sound like, yeah, you know? Well, I looked at their hat, and it's got this star and this, like, Star Trek thing. And I looked at the guys, I said, uh, as lady and the guy, and I said, man, you guys look like Star Trek or something. I like the old days, you know, they laughed. said, yeah, we, we get that a lot. Already we know our uniform kind of looks like a taxi or a bus driver. We know that. But the Marine Corps was, man, they just look sharp. You know, the dark colors and the piping and all that. It's just incredible. But, but that's not what I admire most about the Marine Corps. What I admire most is that. Always faithful, always loyal. You know, the saying with Marines is, once a Marine, always a Marine. And you say, well, Dwayne, if you're so enamored with the Marine Corps, why didn't you join? And the reason is simple. I didn't want to pay the price. I mean, I knew you go to Marine Corps basic training, you may not come out alive. Uh, I preferred the Air Force, kind of like a Girl Scout camp basic training. Uh, you know, that's what, that's what my deal was. But you have to admire them. And I'll tell you what, really, this is such an appropriate title for the topic of the faithfulness of God. Now we're going to spend about 75% of our time today talking about God's faithfulness 
And then about 25% of the time, we're going to talk about our faithfulness. And here's what I've discovered as we've journeyed this summer through the fruit of the Spirit, that I think the more we understand and grasp the fruit and how it applies to God and to us, the more likely we are then to turn right around and live that out in our lives. Well, there's a verse that's kind of like the standard um, for God's faithfulness. And it's found back in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, and verse 22 and 23. This is like the go-to verse for the faithfulness of God. Here's what the author says. Because of the Lord's faithful love. Now, I want you to pause there because, you know, in, in today's culture, no, 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 no. It's been this way forever. You know, man has a tendency to remove God from the equation and put himself in. So, in other words, in so many cultures and so many religions, it would say something like this. Because of our faithful love, we do not perish. In other words, it's what we do. That we are so good, that we keep the rules so well, that, that we do religion so well, that we do church so well, we do all those things so well. Because of that, God has no choice but to let us not perish. Boy, I'm glad is that not true. I'm so glad it doesn't depend on us. I'm glad it says it's because of the Lord's faithful love. You see, every time we stick us in the equation, we weaken the gospel horribly. Whenever you want to put God in place of you, put you in place of God, then you really weaken the gospel and almost change the gospel, okay? I'm glad it says, because of the Lord's faithful love, we don't perish. And remember, we talked about, when we talked about love, the first week of the fruit, you know, we talked about God's love, we talked about being unconditional. That there's nothing I can do to call, now listen, you need to hear this, somebody needs to hear this. Nothing I can do that will cause God not to love me. Nothing I can do. His love is unconditional. Okay, But then he goes on and says this. It's because of the Lord's faithful love, what he does, not what I do, that we do not perish. For his mercies never end. Now, if you go back a couple, three weeks, and we talked about kindness, and then we talked about mercy. Kindness and mercy are like first cousins. And, and the word mercy there was, was kindness and compassion towards someone. Okay, but it didn't stop there. Do you remember? It was, it was kindness and compassion towards someone who you had the power to harm. See, see you know, with, with us messing the whole world up, you know, Adam and Eve and sin and all of that, God had full right to just say, I'm done with you. I've got the right to send you to hell, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Maybe we'll try another Adam and, and another Eve. Maybe we'll try that. But he didn't do that. Instead, he extended his mercy toward us. He had the right to harm us, but instead he chose to bless us, to bless us. And I just love this. I love it because it says in, in Lamentations, it says, you know, that his mercies are new every day. His mercies are new every day. And I always think about, I always think about the children of Israel, you know, when they were out in the, in the wilderness, okay, you know, God had to feed them. And so what he did was he provided this thing called manna. And with the manna, every day it would be out there. And here's what God said. Now, he could, he could have dumped like 18 tons right in the middle of the camp and said, here you go. Here is six months worth. Y'all, listen, you need to listen to this. Because, see, we want all of God's blessings now, and he chooses to dole them out. 
to us. Okay, so, so he could have dumped 16 or 18 tons of manna and said, here's six months worth, now y'all have a good time. But he didn't do that. Rather, he told them, I want you to go out every day, and I want you to go out, and I want you to pick up the manna. Okay, I want you to do it every day. Now, now on, on Friday, you can pick up two days worth. Because I really don't want you working on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday. So, so every day, go out and get... Now, if you pick up more than one day's worth, it's going to spoil and it's going to be rotten, okay? But, but you go out and pick up one day's worth, except for on Friday. So, so every day, every day, they went out. Every morning, they went out, and they got there, and they're picking this man up. And, you know, somebody, someone finally connected the dots and said, You know what? Isn't God good? I don't have to plow ground. I don't, I don't have to get the John Deere out and, and plow the ground and plant the seed and fertilize it and put herbicide on it. I don't have to do any of that. All I do is come out here and pick up this manna. Certainly God is good. And you know what? I've done this now for six months or a year. I don't know how long it took to connect the dots. I've done this now for, for six months or for a year, and I go out. You know what? Every day it's there. God is so faithful. And then they figured out after a year and a half or two years, and it was still happening, they said, you know what? God can be trusted. And that's exactly what God wanted to happen. You know, he wanted them to go out and say, as they picked up the manna, God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. God is good. God is faithful. God can be trusted. And over and over it happened. And it happened every morning. And the power of Lamentations chapter uh, 3 and verse 23 is they are new every day. What you need to understand is that every day God extends you new mercy. I mean, no matter how you mess up the day, no matter what circumstances you face, okay, no matter how big your sin, God's mercy is new every day. You can't out God's mercy. Now listen, that's worth an amen. You can't out God's mercy. He just keeps sending it, keeps sending it. Now Satan, oh Satan, Satan's going to whisper in your ear and tell you, oh no, you did this and God doesn't love you anymore and God, God wishes he'd never invite you into the family. He'll lie to you. But the truth is, his mercies are new every day. And it's because of his faithful love. We don't perish. His mercies are new every day. Um, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great. Great is your faithfulness. You know, we cannot measure, really, and comprehend just how good and how faithful he is. So our teaching point simply says that. God is faithful. No matter what you face today, God is is faithful. No, no matter how... Didn't you think we were done with the COVID mess? Didn't you just think somewhere it was in our rearview mirror and now here we are? And gratefully, it's not quite as deadly, it seems, but it certainly is more contagious. No matter what the rest of 2021 looks like, God is faithful. No matter what your next doctor appointment says, God is faithful. No matter how broken your life seems to be, don't lose sight of the fact that God is faithful. And God will be there for me, and God will be there for you. Um, remember the psalmist, Psalm 23, 4, you know, he says, even though I go through the darkest valley, the old King James says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist says, I will fear no evil. You don't know why? He said, because you're with me. You're with me. 
God is faithful. And so when we go through those incredibly dark valleys, when we go through the 2020s and the 2021s, when we go through the doctor visits that turn out poorly, when we go through the time when the husband comes in, the wife comes in and says, the marriage is over, when our kids go astray, no matter what it looks like to you, God is faithful. God will be there in the darkest valley. Um, there's, a, there's a scripture in Isaiah 43, 2, and it says, you know, even though you're in the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When it seems like you're about to drown, when it seems like the circumstances of life are just washing over you, God says, whoa, 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 you won't drown because I am with you. I am faithful. Remember those three Hebrew boys? You know, Shadrach, Meshach. And Abednego, yeah, they refused to worship the, the idol. And so the king threw them into a burning, fiery furnace. Uh, heat is seven times hotter than normal. So hot that the guys that were carrying them to the furnace died in the process. They didn't burn up. In fact, the Bible says when they came out, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Reckon why that was. Well, the king gives us the answer. He looks down at the furnace and says, Hey, aren't there four guys in there? And you know who the fourth guy was? The Bible tells us it was the Son of God. And so when we go through the fire, when the fire is heated up seven times hotter than normal even, the Bible tells us, Jesus says, God says, His Word says, I am with you. I am faithful. <laughs> Daniel do you remember the lion den? Do you remember he was 80 years old? About time some of us are ready to sign up for the nursing home. He's busy getting thrown into lion's dens. They told him not to pray, and he just simply said, I'm going to do what I've always done. He wasn't trying to be arrogant. He says, I've always prayed. I'm going to pray. And so the king throws him in a lion's den, and he, the king was all upset about it, you know, worried about Daniel, because uh, he kind of liked Daniel. And, and, and I don't know, this is the Wayne Taylor interpretation. But I can just see Daniel dragging one of those lions over by the tail and fluffing him up and putting his head down. The next morning, you know, the king gets up early, go check on Daniel. Daniel, was your God able to deliver you? He goes, oh, yes, thank you. I slept well. Because... God was with me. And God would say, I am faithful. And on and on it goes through the Bible. Even in our sin. That's the part I like most. Because, you know, sometimes we mess up, we fail, and we sin. And we wonder, will God still be there then? Will he get mad at me? Will he, will he ignore me? No. He'll be there. Ask Peter. He'll be there. So, so he says, God is faithful. And God will be with me, for me, with me even when I am not there for him. You see, his faithfulness does not hinge on mine. See, see God, God didn't write a contract with us. The contract says this. If you do this, I will do this. If you go to a loan company, they say, we'll give you money... If you pay back the money on time with this and pay so much interest. God didn't do the contract with us. He did a covenant with us. And covenants don't depend on I'll do if you'll do. It's, it's an agreement together. 
Now, here's the crazy part. Even on the covenant, it's lopsided. It's all on God. God simply says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, but it's on me. It's not on you. It's crazy. You know, remember the guy named Abraham in the Old Testament? And God made this covenant with Abraham. And back then, um, they did kind of weird things, you know. And so what they would do is, to, to seal a covenant, they would take like an oxen, a goat, or something like that, and they would cut the animal down the middle, lengthwise. And then, I know it's kind of like, aren't you glad we don't do that today? You know, take a whole different meaning to church, I promise you. So, so, they, so they take the animal and they split them apart, okay? And then, and then the two parties would walk between the two halves, the two pieces, okay? And here's what they're saying. Just like it is impossible for this animal to come back together and become one, so it is impossible for us to break this covenant. Wow, it's a good picture. Okay, but you know what happened when Abraham did this with God? It was dark. It was dark. Okay, in fact, Abraham's having like a dream. And so here he sees, he sees the animals divided in two, but he doesn't see he and God walking through the two halves. Rather, he sees a smoking pot and a lamp. And the smoking pot and the lamp mysteriously go between the halves. And here's what it means. It means that, hey, Abraham, I'm making a covenant with you, but even this covenant does does not depend on you. I am so glad that my deal with God and my salvation does not depend on me doing. It depends on the faithfulness of God. And, and And so God says, I'm making this covenant with you, Abraham, but it doesn't hinge on your faithfulness. It hinges on me. And I want you to know something. When you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, He made a covenant with you, and then He said this. He said, the covenant does not depend on your faithfulness. It depends on mine. It depends on mine. That is so powerful. So God is faithful. God will be there for me even when I am not there for Him. His faithfulness does not hinge on mine. There's this incredible scripture. And Paul wrote it. And he wrote a chunk of the New Testament. But over in 2 Timothy 2.13, it's just an incredible scripture. You know, if, if we are unfaithful, I think Paul was being incredibly generous there. Because truthfully, if we were writing that scripture, it would say something like this. When we are unfaithful. Because the bottom line is, we are. At some point, at some time, we are going to be unfaithful. But he said, if we are unfaithful, watch this, watch this. He remains faithful. Yeah. Even when I mess up. Even when I fail. Even when I sin. Even when I don't get it right. Even when my life is broken to pieces. He's still faithful. Now, that's worth coming to church to hear. See? Now, Satan will whisper in your ear, Oh, no, that's not right. No, what's really right is when you mess up, God wishes he had never forgiven you. When you mess up, God doesn't want you in his family anymore. When you mess up, all God wants to do is a little bit of lightning bolt and thunder and condemn you and hurt you. No, no, Paul says it. If we are faith unfaithful, he remains faithful. Watch this. He cannot deny who he is. That's the deal. It's not like we're magically worthy of all that. He's simply, listen, at the core of who God is, he's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, but he is Faithfulness, And at the core of who he is, he cannot deny that. 
He cannot deny himself. He can't say, listen, he can't say, I won't be faithful because at the core of who he is, he can't be God and be unfaithful. Shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. This is so beautifully powerful and so essential in our faith. God is faithful even when we're not. Now, I know, I know, we sit and we go, boy, I have a hard time grasping that. Well, in Numbers 23, a book in the Old Testament, in Numbers 23, 19, I love this. It says, you know, God is not a man, so he does not lie. God is not a man, so he does not lie. I mean, you can write that one down. It's, it's outside, it's outside the realm of possibility that God will ever lie. Can't happen. Can't happen. Then goes on and says this. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. Now, that's about who he is. That's his character. He can't change his mind. He can't change his mind about you, and he can't change his mind about himself. Now, he does, he does extend more, but never less. Remember Nineveh? You remember, you know, Jonah and Nineveh? You know, he said, tell, tell Nineveh that they're going to die. I'm going to bring my judgment. And God turned right around and extended more grace. See, God will never give less but he'll always give more. So he extended grace. So he's not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Anybody got anything on God they want to tell us today? No, no. When it comes to his word and who he is, his character, he's never spoken and failed to act. Has he ever promised and not carried it through? See, I told you a couple weeks ago about the promises of God. The numbers range from 300 to thousands in the Word of God. And, and those promises, you know, that's not the important. It's not important how many promises God made. The important thing is how many has He broken. And that's zero. That's zero. So God, God is faithful. God is faithful. So then, here's a quote. This guy's name is Wayne um, Grudem. And, and he is the, I think he was the editor of the ESV Bible. And here's what he says. God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness means that he will always do what he said and fulfill what he has promised. How often? Always. Always. God will always do what he said and fulfill what he promised. And, and again, that's so important in so many different areas of our lives. But where it's really important when it comes to us, God, and our sin. You know, in Africa, they've got different animals. Some, there's certain, there's like, they call it the big five. It's the rhino and the leopard and the lion um, and the water buffalo. And I can't remember the last one. Um, but, but they call it the big five. But I, I want to give you today the big three. And it's not that means, it's not mean it's the top three, but it's three big, powerful things that we need to know. And the first thing is this about God and his faithfulness. He always finishes what he starts. Yeah, thank you. He always finishes what he starts. Now, there's this incredible scripture in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6. And it says this. Paul says, now, of course, he's in prison, okay? He goes, I am sure of this. I am positive. He said, I know by experience about this. And he says this, that he who started a good work in you. Now, let me explain that. The good work is your salvation, okay? So one day, one day, it kind of looks like this. One day you were there, and you came to the recognition uh, through God's wooing and convicting of your heart, you came to the conclusion that you had sinned against holy God. I mean, you've got to come to that point if you're going to be saved. So you reached the point that you understood that you had sinned against holy God. 
Then you begin understanding that, that Jesus Christ had died on a Roman cross. That the Bible said that the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so you begin to understand that when Jesus Christ died, he paid the price for your sin. He, he paid a price that you could not pay. He was willing to die for your sin. So he paid the price for your sin. And then you believed and said this, if I am willing to turn from that, from my sin, from my past, from my world and my way, and choose to follow Jesus, and this is called repentance, by the way, and choose to follow Jesus, then I can have eternal life. So that day, when you did that, okay, he started a good work in your life. He forgave your sins and began a good work in your life. So I love that. So I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And I like this because, you know, it says he started it and he'll finish it. <laughs> See, God doesn't say, Dwayne, I'm going to get you started, but then it's up to you. Good luck, buddy. Keep the rules. You can do it. I know you can. Go to church. Write those checks. Be nice. No. Paul makes it clear. He says, you know, he, he who started the work will finish the work. Let me say that one more time. He who started the work will complete the work. I like that. And then it got better. It got better. Because, because I looked at this and I said, I wonder what that word completion means. I kind of had an idea where it meant, what it meant. So I looked it up. And in the Greek, here's what the word completion means. To bring an activity, to bring an activity to a successful finish. To complete to finish, to end, and to accomplish. So, so when he started that work that day, when, he, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he began that work in me, okay, okay, he's going to keep working out. That's called sanctification, by the way. It's becoming more and more like Christ, okay? So, so he started that work in me. He's going to carry it to the completion until, until it is complete, finished, to an end, and to accomplish. Woo. How about that? How about that? And, and, that's, a, that's when the day of Jesus Christ. From the day I trusted Jesus till the end, God will be faithful. Well, then it got really good. I said to myself, y'all know I don't do the Greek thing very much. I wrestle with English. But I said, I wonder if that's the word I think it is. So I looked it up in the concordance, the Strong's concordance, and sure enough, it's the word to die. See that word completion? It's the word to die, And it means exactly what I told you, to bring it to a completion. And it's really a common word. It's a common word. Um, you know, if there's an artist and, and, you know, he's painting the Mona Lisa or whatever, and finally the last brush stroke is put on there, and the artist would step back and go, to die, It is finished. It's the sculptor, maybe sculpting David. And he's chipping away the stone, and finally he looks at it and goes, it's done, it's done. It's to die, It is finished. It is finished. Um, perhaps it's a farmer who's farming acre after acre. And finally he looks, and everywhere he looks, he sees plowed acres. And he realizes and goes, aha, tetelestai. It is finished. It's a common word. But then along comes Jesus. And in John chapter 16, verse number 30. Remember I told you, 
They nailed him to a Roman cross. He wasn't martyred or murdered. It was intentional because he was paying the price for sin. He endured the wrath of God. The Bible says he became sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ. All that is going on on the cross. And finally, you remember? He cries out and says three words in the English. It is finished. It's done. It's completed. The activity is over. Anybody reckon what the word is he used? To tell us die. To tell us die. It is finished. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. The same power, the same God who enabled Jesus to die on the Roman cross and cry out and say, To tell us die. It is finished. It is done. No, no, no additions necessary. It's done. Comes along and leads Paul to write. That he's going to carry our salvation to completion. To tell us die. Till it's finished. And will it be finished? Either the day you take your last breath and you enter heaven. Or Jesus comes back and gets us. And then it will be done. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? That's the kind of God he is. Listen. That's the faithfulness of God. That's the faithfulness of God. So, so he forgives our sin and does it completely. And then he starts this work and finishes what he completes. But then, but then we have something else. We have this quote from Spurgeon that I missed totally in the first service. It says, The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. That's so powerful. The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. He, there's no sin that I'm going to commit, okay, that will change Philippians 1.6, him completing it. There's nothing. See, it's just another great verse for eternal security of the believer. I mean, it's all, listen, it's all God. You're just along for the ride. It's all God. And then we got 1 John 1, 9. Here's what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that, now, if you read that on the surface, it goes, oh, okay, yeah, I got that. So what I have to do in order to stay saved, I got to be sure to confess every sin that I ever commit because if I miss one, oops. And that is not what the Scripture means or says. Oh, it's a great Scripture to really to use for salvation. If you look at a gospel you know, pamphlet, track, okay, you'll see it. You know, they'll include 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's just not the context. Because, see, the Bible teaches, clearly, the Bible teaches us that that day when He started the good work, all our sins were paid for and all our sins were forgiven. The penalty of our sin was paid. All the sins in my past... Paid in full. All my sins in the future, paid in full. So, Dwayne, what does this mean? Because he clearly says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's not about penalty. And it's not about relationship. It's about fellowship. It's about what you do. Anybody here married? Ever mess up before? Ever stick your foot so far down your throat you think you can't get it out? Y'all ever have a fuss, you married couples? You, you engage couples? You, you dating couples? Have you ever had a fuss before? Hey, hey, if you're friends with someone, have you been friends with someone, and boom, 
Something happens? Yeah. If you're married, this works really well. If you're married and you have that fuss, and it's usually the guys, let's just be honest. It's not always the guys, but at least in my case, a lot of times it's me. You know, and, and so I go to Judy and I say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And I, and I really mean it too. I'm not being casual with it. I really am sorry. And I ask her to forgive me. And she says, okay. Then we go down to the justice of peace and we buy another marriage license and we get married all over again. Is that what you do? No. You forgive the relationship. Was the relationship ever not intact? Was the marriage over when you had the fuss? No, the fellowship was. And if you spend a few nights on the couch, you know what I'm talking about. If you ate cold bologna for supper three nights in a row before, you know what I'm talking about. Okay? The relationship, husband-wife, was still intact. But the fellowship was broken. That's what this verse is about. God wants us to enjoy fellowship with him. We're going to sin. We don't have to worry about the penalty because the the penalty was paid on the cross. And that day when he started the good work in me, okay, on that day, all right, the penalty was paid. The sins were forgiven for the sake of the penalty. But what about the fellowship? What about when you deliberately disobey God? What if you know something's wrong? And sometimes we stumble into it, kind of like in a cow pasture, we step in something we didn't mean to step in, but too often we just walk into it deliberately. Well, we go to God and we say, God, I'm so sorry. I know that I have violated our relationship, our fellowship, because that the fellowship's broken. Would you forgive me? And he does. And again, it's not like I become the son again. It's like I become the bride again. And the fellowship is sweet again. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, have you ever done this before? You knew God, you know, we're not on the same page. And you finally understand, and you go to God, and you ask God to forgive you, and he does, and boom, the fellowship is sweet. The fellowship is sweet. That's what he's talking about. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then, and then, we get to the third thing. See, the first was about starting the work and finishing the work. The second was about restoring our fellowship, make sure that we're together with God in fellowship. And the third one is keeping us out of sin in the first place. You know, I write a blog, you know, five days a week and, and post it. And, and I always close with either he's got this, you know, or, or he's got that. I'll just finish. I want you to know that God's got whatever you're going to face. No matter what 2021 looks like, God's got it. God's got it. Well, that's what happens in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, Paul is teaching about temptation. And so here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, the temptations in your life, are no different, okay, than what others experience. Now, what Satan will do is, okay, when you're tempted, you know, you got that urge to do something that's wrong, he will say, I know this is really, this is Satan talking, I know this is really hard for you right now, and no one else in the whole world has gone through it, okay? God understands you're human, just go ahead. Ever heard that whisper before? Just go ahead, it's all right. No one's going through what you're going through. The lust has never been stronger. The, the justification to lie or cheat or steal or be angry or be bitter, to not forgive, has never been stronger. Go ahead. Now, Paul comes along and says this. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. You're not by yourself. Someone else, lots of someone else's, have gone through what you've been through. 
That should be affirming to you. You're not on the island by yourself. Okay? And then he says this. When you... Excuse me, I'm sorry. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That's so cool. That's so cool. So, so when the temptation comes, it will never be bigger than you can handle. Now, let me pause here because I, something I hear a lot in, in culture, church culture, is this words. Well, you know, the Bible says that God will never put more on me than I can bear. Ever said it? Ever heard it? This is the scripture they use to say that. And the bad news is, that's not what the scripture says. See, the truth is, God wants to put more on you than you can bear. Why in the world would God set you up where you can say, don't need God. God, I know you won't put more than I can bear. So, yeah, I don't need you, God. I can bear it. Why in the world would he do that? Well, I checked to make sure I wasn't blowing smoke today. And I've checked it before, to be honest with you. But you see that word temptation? That's not the word for trials. That's not the word for circumstances. That's not the word for 828. All things work together for good. Those who love God are called. No, that's not that word. That word is enticement to sin. The context of that statement, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, is for temptation. Not circumstances. Not life. No. You're going to go through difficulty, and God allows those difficulties so you will depend on Him. But not when it comes to temptation. He wants to help you out there, and He will not put more on you temptation-wise than you can bear. In fact, He goes on to say this. When you are tempted, when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so you can endure. And I love this. So, so here's the temptation, and it's big and massive, and sometimes I feel like it's only me. I'm in this battle all by myself. You know, Dave never had to worry about it. Judy never had to worry about it. You know, no one had to worry about it but me. Then God comes along and says, Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. First off, you need to know something. This temptation may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than me. And by the way, by the way, you need to know something else. I'm going to give you an exit. I'm, see, when David, when David sinned with Bathsheba, he took that first look. If he had turned around and walked away, the stairs, the stairs off the roof did not disappear. Come on now. Come on. No one was holding David's head and saying, You are going to look at Bathsheba. You cannot stop looking at Bathsheba. Well, the devil may have done that. No. The stairs were there. David just chose not to take the exit. And what gets us in trouble is we choose not to take the exit. But He provides one for us. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. He's faithful at the beginning. He's faithful in the middle. And He will be faithful at the end. That's the God we serve. God is faithful. God is simplified. Always faithful and always loyal. So what about us? What about us? Well, our teacher point says this. A faithful God deserves a faithful people. Now, again, the, the idea I'm trying to sell during this series is that as we experience the fruit of God, then it will lead us to live out the fruit of God. 
other words, when we experience God's love, it helps me to love. When we experience God's joy, it helps me to be joyful. Are you getting the idea? When, when we experience the peace of God, it helps me to be at peace with others. Okay? That's, that's why I'm trying um, to sell. Okay? So a faithful God is worthy of a faithful people. Now, faithful, this is Rick Warren, faithful servants never retire. All right? You can retire from your career, but you'll never retire from serving God. So God is challenging us. God is encouraging us to be faithful because he is faithful. There's a great scripture. It's really short. In 1 Corinthians 4, 2, it says this. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Now, Paul is talking about, interestingly enough, he's talking about the context of the gospel, that we are to be faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the truth is, this verse is not limited just to that, that stewards are supposed to be faithful. And that's what we are. We're stewards. You know, have you realized something? We don't own anything. You know, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. So if God owns the earth and everything on the earth, how much do we own? Nothing. We're just stewards. God puts people, God puts things, God puts opportunities, God puts talents in our lives. And we're, all we are, we're stewards. And we'll be a faithful user or steward of that. It's required of stewards to be found faithful. So that's the nugget. That's the take-home. If God would be whispering anything to us today, he would simply be whispering, whispering this. I've been faithful, and I will be faithful even when you're not. But I'm hoping, I'm encouraging that you will be faithful, a faithful steward of what I've placed in your hands. You say, well, Dwayne, it's not very much, but it is. It is. Um, John Ruskin said these words. Faithfulness knows no difference between small and great duties. Faithfulness knows no difference between small and great duties. Hudson Taylor, no relation, one of the great founding missionaries of the gospel movement said this, A little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in little things is a great thing. So whatever your sphere of influence is, whether, whether it's being the mama to three boys or whether it's being the pastor of a church or a worship leader or whether it's working at, at the bank or whether it's teaching school, you know, whatever your sphere of influence is. And you might say, well, it's not much, Dwayne. Uh-huh. Let's listen to Hudson Taylor again. A little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in little things is a great thing. There's a verse, you know, we, we like to throw out. It's Matthew 5, uh, 25, 21. You know, the master replies, it's one of those stories, parables of Jesus. And the guy had done the right thing. The guy had done the right thing. And here's what Jesus said. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things, and I will put you in charge of many. Faithful in a few things. An opportunity to be faithful in more. So if you're here today... And perhaps you came today expecting, well, I don't know what, but I hope if you've never heard about Jesus, that today this will be more real to you than ever. Not not this, but you know what I mean. That 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus loved you so much. He died on a Roman cross, not because he had no choice. He did have a choice, but he chose to die for people like me and you. 
that the payment of sin could be paid for, that we could have eternal life, that we would have the opportunity to invite Jesus to start a new work in our lives. And I'll be standing down front in just a moment while the team sings. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I hope today would be that day. It's not about religion. not about church. not about keeping rules. It's all about Him. It's about relationship with Him and fellowship with Him. It's, it's Him walking with you as you do life. And then one day you just walk into heaven and experience eternal life there. And if you're here today and you're a Jesus person, you're a Jesus follower, I hope today that you're encouraged by the faithfulness of your God. For people like me, who <laughs> have low self-esteem, um, who wonder how could God love me in the first place, this is a really good message to hear. Just to know, just to know that there's not a single thing I can ever do that God's going to say, oops, you're done. That he's going to finish the work that he started in me. And guess what? He'll finish the work that he started in you. Even though we're unfaithful, Paul wrote to Timothy, he is faithful because he cannot deny who he is. Let's pray. Wow, Father, thank you very much for the privilege that's mine to share these words today. God, thank you that you are faithful. Even when we're not, you are faithful. Thank you that you started a good work and one day, you're going to finish it. You always finish what you start. Thank you for that. For my friend who might be listening on Facebook, or maybe on the radio, or maybe in this room, who has never put their faith and trust in you, oh, may today be that day. Woo them, call them, urge them to come and receive the greatest gift ever, your forgiveness. And Father, we pray and ask God that you'll help us to trust, to believe, to enjoy your faithfulness. And may that be a motivating factor for us to also be faithful and, and be good stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell others this great truth, but also to be faithful stewards of all that you've placed within our hands, our marriages, our children, our families, our careers, our character, our testimonies. Help us to be faithful stewards. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.